0: You're listening to The Maastricht Diplomat.
1: In the past year and a half at least, Sri Lankans have struggled with exploding inflation rate, foreign currency debt and gas cylinders. They're facing food and fertilizer shortages, power cuts of several hours per day and endless queues to get a few liters of fuel. The United Nations calls this the perfect storm, a conjunction of the effects of COVID-19 financial tightening, and the increase of commodity prices. And indeed, after a devastating 26-year-long civil war, the 2019 Easter Sunday attacks, and the pandemic, Sri Lanka has hit rock bottom in 2022. The government declared the country bankrupt, as it is experiencing its worst crisis in history, triggering widespread poverty, but also the anger of Lankans. This crisis has received fairly limited media attention in Europe. After all, 2022 was a very hectic year, but we wanted to tell you more about what's going on in Sri Lanka. Today, we're reflecting on what made Sri Lanka FL state, but we are also paying tribute to the never-ending kindness of Lankans. Hi everyone, welcome. My name is Jonathan Vijayaratna and together with my co-podcastee, Simon Vietz, we are launching this new series on the Lankan crisis. Both Simon and I have Lankan backgrounds, and we felt compelled to tell you more about what's happening in our little island. We're releasing this first episode on the 75th anniversary of Sri Lankan's independence from the British, 4th of February, 2023. It is common to hear all the Lankan people regret colonial times, claiming that back then the country was doing well and we had peace. This nostalgia is obviously based on romanticization, and quite frankly, I don't think New Age colonial rulers would care that much about the people of Lanka. The thing is, neither does the current government. Today, while thousands are struggling to make ends meet, the Sri Lankan government has decided to spend 200 million rupees, roughly 500,000 euro, on a ceremony to celebrate the national holiday. Mind you, Sri Lanka is still bankrupt. On this episode, Simon is discussing the impacts of this crisis and its roots with Dr. Tamila Nantavinayagan from the University of Nottingham, and I'm speaking with Sarita Erugal Bandara, who coordinates a mutual aid structure to help people in need in Sri Lanka. Little disclaimer before we get started. The two interviews you are about to hear were recorded early in the last semester, in September and October 22. For personal reasons, we have delayed the publication of this podcast. However, their contents are still relevant today. The crisis is still ongoing and will probably last for another few years. On to Simon now. Sri
2: Lanka is suffering the most severe economic crisis in its history. The 22 million inhabitants have to fight immense inflation, a shortage enough- of of electricity and petrol. Ex-president Gotayaba Rayapaksa who is accused of nepotism and corruption fled the country after protesters have occupied the presidential palace and the president's residence in July. He recently returned from exile in Singapore whilst now his former government colleague Ranil Vikrimenzinga has taken over his job. The IMF made a deal with the Sri Lankan government to provide 2.9 billion US dollars, which however, according to finance experts, will not be a sufficient remedy. Dr. Tamil Ananda Vinayagan, a human rights scholar from the University of Nottingham and former student of Massachusetts University, is the author of the book, Sri Lanka, Human Rights and the United Nations. We invited him to discuss the situation in Sri Lanka. Welcome and thanks for being here. Thank you, thanks for having me. Yeah, we've prepared a few questions. Um, maybe to start off, how do you feel when you hear about the current situation in Sri Lanka?
3: Well, I think uh, like for many um, Sri Lankans, uh, whatever their political allegiances and what their ethnic belonging is, oh. I think um, that uh, when I hear about the current situation in Sri Lanka or the, the ongoing situation, it is it is depressing and it is certainly uh not um triggering emotions of happiness um sri lanka is going through the worst financial crisis um ever and uh it is uh, it is disheartening to see on a very daily basis uh, through social media uh, through the news that um uh, that people are uh, debating whether they should um, buy fuel or should they rather skip their second or even third meal. Uh, the situation is dire on the ground. People are suffering. And uh, frankly, I am a Sri, I belong to the ethnicity of the, uh, the, the Tamils in Sri Lanka. I really um, uh, don't care what your ethnic belonging is. It's, uh, it's a very depressing situation for the country and for the people.
2: And do you also maybe still have relatives or uh, also friends in Sri Lanka and uh, can share some, some, some stories about how they are coping at the moment?
3: Well, I, I, I do have still my relatives uh, in Sri Lanka. They live in Colombo, they live in Trincomale, uh, they live in Jaffna. Um, and uh, while they belong to the upper middle class, in Sri Lanka, they were doing uh, well, uh, even before the economic crisis. Uh, when I contacted them, uh, once the first signs of the economic turmoil were kicking in, mm-hmm. uh, and when I when I called them to ask, guys, do you need money? Uh, shall I transfer some money uh, for you to support you? Um, they just simply responded. All of them uh, responded. My cousins, my uncles, my aunts, they responded. Listen, um, we don't need money. They just simply don't have the stuff to buy. We have the money, but we cannot buy the stuff. We cannot buy medicine. We cannot buy um, some uh, basic goods like like baby formula. Uh, one of my cousins has a little son now. Um, so uh, it, is, it is really disheartening to hear this even firsthand from your own family.
2: I can imagine that is uh, it's very upsetting and also like just just from watching the news um, I'm also very touched by that actually um but I also see um in my surrounding and also uh looking at let's say the reaction of uh, politicians in uh, in europe or um in the Netherlands, in Germany, in the UK, that they don't really give that high priority to the Sri Lankan case. I mean, for sure there are problems uh, in Europe at the moment as well, just hinting at the Ukraine uh, crisis and um, the energy problems. Um, But, yeah, in a way, would you also wish that people would be more aware of the crisis of Sri Lanka and um, maybe there's also a specific aspect of it that comes way too short in the public discussion for you
3: i i mean it's a it's a very good point that you that you're ra- raising here i mean it's like uh the famous um scholar uh, from the third world approaches to international law uh, a scholarship that i myself belong to um has said once it's about the the mythology of indifference and i think we are thinking that um an issue is uh completely indifferent to us uh, and we are valuing some other issues much higher than um uh other issues at, in some other parts in the world um and obviously i would like to see sri lanka more on the radar uh i would like to see sri lanka uh, being mentioned in the in the second sentence of uh, Uh, of uh, the Daily Journal in Germany, Netherlands, Ireland, UK, or wherever. Uh, But the problem is that we live in a Eurocentric world, which is driven by economic interests. Um, Sri Lanka nonetheless has an economic interest, uh, at least in the regional context, but also at the international level. Uh, But, you know, to be brief, um, I I wish Sri Lanka was more often uh, in the headlines, but we are not, uh, and that is due to a very eurocentric reporting, unfortunately. And Sri Lanka's capabilities, as um, economic capabilities, are, are not as important as, say, of South Sudan.
2: Yeah, I get what you mean. Um, looking at the situation in Sri Lanka, and um, I mean all those people storming the uh, presidential palace. Of course, they are angry. They are hungry. I understand that completely. Um, mm. And they are also blaming the uh, former government um, for uh, their misery because of uh, hmm. accusing them of nepotism and um, corruption. Do you think hmm. uh, that's a good point they make? Or where do you think do the um, the economic and there's also social, social problems uh,
3: come from? Well, if it comes to Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka, um is a country that um, has been governed uh, like many third world uh, countries uh, by uh, a certain set of elites Mm. and um, ever since Sri Lanka gained its um, so-called independence from the colonial powers um, we were entrusted and and governed by um, this third world elite and there are uh, a particular uh, group of of uh, third world elite families who have governed sri lanka um and that is uh, it's a fact it's uh, not something that one has to imagine and that is some, somebody uh, just making up it is a fact and um it's it's emblematic for the third world uh, look at uh, countries like kenya uh, look at countries like peru uh, look at countries like uh, Malaysia uh, or or India, Pakistan, Bangladesh you you can see that this pattern is repeating and all of these countries have seen colonialism and they are seeing a lot of nepotism corruption in uh, the countries and I think the 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 demand of the people and to storm, the The palaces uh, of uh, of uh, uh, the the people in power was a legitimate action. i I strongly believe it was a legitimate action because uh, the people were sick and tired. They were sick and tired of being betrayed, of being um, uh, subjected to governance that is uh, plundering the the hardly earned money uh, by the people um and they just revolted they just showed the anger they had to vent uh, and that was the point when we saw it uh, in july that people vented and um they went to the streets and stormed the the the, the mansions of the leaders yeah. now um having said this now there were a range of issues um it was definitely corruption um the Bahinda Raja rajapaksha family uh, the Gotabaya Rajapaksha family uh, were spearheading that very endeavor uh, of um, pillaging the, the household of the people. Um, but it's also complete economic mismanagement. Um, and uh, uh, some world events have also played a role, such as the war in Ukraine, uh, moreover, the declining uh demand for uh tea and rubber uh and moreover um the issue that sri lanka um nearly went to every regional power uh and when i say every regional power it's the you, the it's india and china mm-hmm. to get loans uh and now uh sri lanka has uh is trying to strike a deal with the IMF, and they already have um uh, uh asked the imf in the past for money um so uh, sri Lanka's situation is 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 a mix of everything but corruption is certainly a, a key part of it
2: what would be your advice to the um to the sri lankans right now what what could they do um do they have a choice uh in a way to do something or are they are they just yeah are their hands just
3: tied the hands of people who are free uh, are never tied. Uh, like Nelson Mandela said, we are free to be free. Mm-hmm. And I think we we uh, should not uh, yield to um, the, the contemporary um, framework of governance in Sri Lanka, but also um, whatever happens now from Washington, D.C., um, I mean, uh, the 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 there's this new IMF loan deal uh, which amounts to 2.9 billion US dollars, um, and uh, the IMF is not giving out the money for free. They are they want something from the people, and uh, they want uh, if whenever and this is what history teaches teaches us. Mark Twain said once, uh, "History doesn't repeat itself; uh, it it rhymes." The IMF doesn't do anything for free, uh, and they want something, and that is structural adjustment programs. They want uh, intervention in the third world in order to govern. It's a neocolonial intrusion, in my view. I say bluntly, as I see it, as a third world um, scholar or as as a scholar from the third world approaches to international law. Um, And the people need to revolt uh, whenever it comes to cutting down on on their own uh, life because um, the people have suffered already, and they should not have to suffer f- uh, furthermore. Um, examples from um, Ecuador are, are telling where people went onto the streets when Ecuador had a deal with the IMF to um, remove fuel subsidies. Mm-hmm. Uh, people here in the country that I'm speaking from, uh, namely in the Republic of Ireland, Uh, went onto the streets when um, the Irish government, as part of an austerity deal with the international moneylenders, wanted to introduce a water charge, because water is for free in Ireland, right? So they wanted to introduce a water charge, and the people went on the streets and they scrapped the water charge. So what I'm saying is to answer your question, I don't want to sound like a a, a drunk brown uncle at weddings, I, what I want to say now is people have to revolt. Uh, and they have to show the people's power that needs to come to the forefront.
2: I think that absolutely makes sense. And uh, yeah, I would actually also personally wish that um, that would happen in more places. You know, we have, of course, not only Sri Lanka. We have so many places in the world where uh, we have a similar, we had a similar situation. And I think that will also occur again. Um, mm-hmm. And uh yeah it's just a very very good advice um, and then on the other side, I mean we Europeans, Americans uh, just let's say Western people uh, are kind of watching the situation. most mm. of us are just watching it. Um, mm. what could we do? what do you uh, what would you like uh, Westerners
3: to do in this situation? Mm. It's actually an excellent question. Uh, well, first of all, decolonize international law and decolonize international governance and decolonize uh, international politics. And that is something that Westerners should do. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm in a, a bit of a Dr. Jekyll and Hyde situation. Uh, I'm, I'm son to, to parents uh, from Sri Lanka, belonging to the, the Tamil people but I'm at the same time born, raised uh, in Germany. So I'm a German as well. So I have a global South and a global North narrative. Now, the hegemony that still exists in the global North um, needs to be broken down. It needs to be dismantled. Um, And let us start, when we talk uh, about the IMF and the IMF is a crux of the conversation that we have today, the IMF and the World Bank, they have an unspoken rule that either one of the organizations are either run by somebody from the US or from Europe. Yeah. I'm asking you, why? Why? These are international organizations. Why is either the Europe uh, European uh, part or the US-American part <laughs> running the show? Why not somebody from, uh, say, Haiti? Uh, why not somebody from Mozambique? Uh, why not somebody from Vietnam? And um, why does it have to be somebody from the global north? So, what do what should we do? We need to change the debate um, in universities, that we decolonize our curriculum uh, in every regard, in politics, in society, uh, sociology, sorry, history, uh, law, etc., etc. Um, We need to start and trigger a debate in uh, political parties and non-governmental organizations, how we can actually create uh, a new partnership between the global north and the global south. And moreover, we need to actually to uh, reform international organizations eventually. So it is uh, something that Balakrishna Rajagopal wrote famously in his book that is called International Law from the Below. And I would like to um, borrow that very title of the book. We need to build a new society from the below to create actually uh, international organizations that are truly international and not Eurocentric. And that is what the Global North and we and the people uh, who are living in the Global North have to do, build a more inclusive, more uh, multinational and truly international system. And
2: I think it's maybe also good to um, start with students because right, they are still learning and uh, growing up and uh, they have a whole life in front of them. So there's mm. uh, a lot of, let's say... Uh, a lot of hope <laughs> also. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah um, do, you, do you have a point which you would like to uh to still offer to us? Uh you have any thought which is uh, still in your head at the moment that you want to tell us?
3: Well, um I think you know, uh, to to the to the to the listeners of this podcast, uh, perhaps because uh, we are talking about Sri Lanka. Um I, what, what I would like to stress to the, to the, to the listeners is um, try to do your own research, um, go beyond and uh, try to understand what the situation is on the ground for the people and um, understand that um, the people didn't uh, rise up uh, to um, a government uh, just because they had free hand at time. Um, they were struggling, and this very struggle comes from uh, very ill governance. But it also stems from uh, pre-colonial uh, and 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 colonial and post-colonial practices. Um, so we have to be, or also more critical of the colonial backgrounds of uh, different countries that have contributed to. Um, the situation that we have in uh, different parts of the world um uh, there was a reason why um people um rose to power uh, like uh, Thomas Sankara in Burkina Faso or Patrice Mumba in Congo um why we had uh, the Cuban Revolution or why we why uh, now the the people in Sri Lanka are um rising uh, against uh, the IMF intervention, because there's always a hegemonic background and there is always some stronger form of uh, law and policies that is employed in order to control someone who's weaker. Um, And that is uh, the case right now in Sri Lanka and Sri Lanka, uh, frankly, is perhaps a little beautiful country, by the way, in the Indian Ocean with 22 million people, uh, but it's also a country that um, has seen uh, 26 years of of a very bloody civil war with more than 250,000 people who died with uh, um, two inter-ethnic and two intra-ethnic conflicts. Um, This country uh, has suffered a lot um, and has seen a lot of blood and I don't want Sri Lankas History to be further um, uh, cemented in injustice anymore. Uh, it, this country deserves justice, uh, and the first step towards us uh, towards achieving justice is, uh, as you said earlier in your in your question, how can we actually help? Uh, and the first way to help is to understand what is happening in the global south and why it is happening. Thank you very much, and I hope that, or I think
2: even, that we can understand that a bit better with your uh, guidance and words, and that uh, many of our viewers are uh, getting interested in Sri Lanka and the situation there, and might um, look up some some information on the internet, and uh, also um, yeah, might have a look at your book (laughs) as well, because it is also talking about Sri Lanka, and um, the
3: situation with human rights there, right? Yeah. Shameless self-promotion, go and get it. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.
1: The crisis in Sri Lanka is not only economic or political. The International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies says Sri Lanka is on the brink of a humanitarian crisis as well, with 6.7 million people in urgent need of assistance. Without food or a functioning healthcare system, lives are in danger. In addition, at least 15 people so far have died of exhaustion and fuel queues because of the unbearable heat and humidity. Sarita Irugalbandara is a social media specialist for Hashtag Generation. Sarita, hi.
0: Hi, hello. Very nice to be here.
1: So can you tell us a bit about what are you doing? What's Hashtag Generation about?
0: Yeah. Uh, thanks, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so a little bit about myself uh, and Hashtag Generation and the work we do. So we're a youth-led uh, civic organization uh, working mainly on improving civic consciousness and participation uh, in the digital space in the context of creating a radically inclusive society within Sri Lanka. In addition to that, um, you know, I also work as a feminist researcher and consultant. Uh, my area of focus is online gender-based violence, um, but I also work uh, within the areas of uh, queer feminism and uh, the politics of memory.
1: Wonderful. So uh, something we haven't yet mentioned is that um, of course we've known each other for a little while through Twitter for actually more than a year. I Um, know, it's yeah, right. connect with uh,
0: online friends like this for sure no
1: i really love this um so i've always seen you on on twitter even before what we're going to talk about just like helping out people in the community helping people in need um so a couple of months ago you also started calling out for financial help to support um, actually what rapidly assembled into a grassroots mutual aid structure which i'll mention it later we're also part of we also have a, a fundraising platform here in maastricht so this financial help supports families not only in Colombo but also in other provinces around Sri Lanka. So I that how did this start this drive to help other people and also the whole structure thing?
0: Um so we actually started this back in December. So to give you a very personal anecdote, one day in December we had I was at home and someone knocked on our gate. I answered and to see that it was a man, uh, his name is Rukmal, and I'm still in contact with him, actually. So Rukmal uh, spoke to me, and the first thing he said was, uh, which means, Madam, I don't want any money, please give me some food. And what he said was, he has two children, two school-going children, who are no longer in school uh, because of COVID, and generally just couldn't afford going to school. Uh, he was also supporting his elderly mother, who had a heart condition where only 30% of her heart was functioning at the she has since passed away. And Rukmal himself was an artist who was out of work. And to make matters worse, he had had a really bad fall from a scaffolding some months ago, which left him incapacitated to actually work long hours on his feet. So at that time, I only had a packet of summer and a carton of milk to give him. And I remember thinking that this is absolutely unacceptable. Just the fact that people were asking for food instead of money, I think, signals to a level of desperation that is quite irreversible. And we're seeing that now, right? The, 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 the World Health Organization and UNICEF has warned that Sri Lanka is reaching detrimental levels of child malnutrition and that people are skipping meals and lowering the quality of their food in order to be able to afford living. So we started this back in december i have like this little private like instagram account where i just rant about everything with my closest friends so i sent out a call on that and i was like listen this is like unbearable can we please do something about it and so december through march april it was very small scale Uh, my friend hasini jarawadana shout out to her Uh, she's been my rock throughout all of this so she immediately started crowdfunding through her venmo no questions asked right she was, she's been such a pillar, and I love her so much. So she actually immediately started crowdfunding in the States, and uh, we started getting a little bit of funds, and we started uh, giving out rations, uh, so dry rations. And what we tried to do is also to do it on a need basis, and then come April with the protests, everything intensified, and that's when we decided, okay, we need to scale this up and see how it goes
1: so you mentioned that it's already taken an international scale because hassan is in the us so currently how many people are involved and what's the main point of focus in this mutual aid structure
0: yeah um so i i should make a little note that uh, we are currently unfortunately on a little hiatus uh because we're also trying to figure out some organizational uh uh, stuff Uh, and i'll get onto that later as to why we are on hiatus so on the international level, so um, I know you've fundraised for us, uh, Hassini fundraises for us. Uh, I also had my friend Niroshni uh, all the way from Australia. Uh, Niro, if you're listening, thank you so much. Uh, so she also did a little bit of fundraising on her end. Uh, when I mean a little bit, it was it was a lot and we're really, really appreciative. And in addition to that, we actually had our diaspora community come all the way through and we're very, very grateful for that. It was so nice because some days, like, we would have no money in the account. And I would just say, I would just go on Twitter and be like, hey, guys, I really need money. Like, we have a ration drive. I don't know what to do. And I would see so many, like, familiar names of people. I've just interacted through Twitter or, like, just social media. People I've only met once. And and I would see those names. And honestly, it made me so happy. And it does, I know that the situation in Sri Lanka is, like, it's kind of a situation of falling from, like, the stove to the fire. But, um, but really, like, it, it does give me hope. It really does give me hope.
1: And so, in the end, in Sri Lanka, who are the beneficiaries? Where does the money go?
0: So, um, the way we pick out beneficiaries right now has been through reaching out to our local uh, grammar saver, I'm not sure of the English term for that.
1: It could be some kind of local prefect, a civil servant at the scale of a neighborhood. A
0: little bit, yeah. So they're not a politician, uh, but they, you know, have the registry of people within that local area. And they also are very well um, versed in who is in need. Um, So they know a lot about, you know, who has children, who's a single mother, who has elderly that they're caring for, who's, you know, all of that. So we've been reaching out to them, actually, and they've been a great help and they've always been willing to, you know, help us help their communities. And it's amazing. In addition to that, um, we've also connected with uh, established uh, organizations like the Super Bowl, for example, where we've we've done a couple of continuous donations um, because they just reach out when they have a new drive and they're like, hey, listen, if you have any anything you can donate, please do. Uh, and then also with Community Meal Share, uh, Nadika Jayasenha, uh, who does amazing work, by the way. I really recommend you guys check her out. She's fantastic. So Nadika's Community Meal Share um, right now uh, is, doing a very impo- is doing some very important work with feeding school children, providing meals to school children, because Sri Lanka has started like, you know, school, like physical school, but there are no meals, there's no food, and we know malnutrition is high so we have worked with a couple of organizations like that also but the bulk of our work really is community driven and community funded um and the labor the logistics everything is is from the community so that's really how we choose or rather like how we determine who the beneficiaries are so right now off the top of my head like we've done a couple of areas in colombo including uh areas like maligawakta Kirlapana, um, Maharagama. We've also done a couple of ration drives in Anradapura where a lot of farmers are affected by the fuel shortages actually. Like to imagine that farmers, the producers of our food are affected by by this is ridiculous to even think of. Um, And we've also done a couple of ration drives for uh, transgender uh, people along with this other organization, my friend Ranna Desiraja's organization, Voice of Hope. Um, we've also helped out uh, a couple of border villages in Batiko, actually. So that's the sort of work we've been doing. It's very dispersed across Sri Lanka, and it's, it's very much a, if someone comes to us and says, hey, there's a need, we try to then figure out how can we meet it best. So there's a couple of families who've gotten in touch with me through you know, mutual connections, people who've just come to our gates and said, hey, I need help. So we've also been helping them uh, with essentials, with medicine, um, even sometimes with electricity and water bills, because there have been situations where people have not been able to pay their basic necessities, and to the point where it's risked them just shutting off electricity and water. So it's really on a need basis, and that's kind of the, I hope that answers the question of where does the money go?
1: Yeah, I mean, my, my takeaway from this is that it is community-based, but you're not only limiting yourself to Batarmula or the Western province, which I, I do need to specify this for our listeners who are not familiar with Sri Lankan geography. The Western province, where Colombo, the economic capital is, is the most populated and wealthiest province in the country. Um, that you also mentioned Anuradhapura, which is the capital of the north-central province, and Batticaloa, which is in the east. And the north and east provinces have a Tamar population, which is the biggest minority in the country. And even though this crisis is impacting everyone in the country, we must not forget that we already have systemic inequality between the Sinhalese and the Tamil people and people in need that have been disregarded for so many years because of the civil war, because of systemic racism. And I understand that this mutual aid structure also helped people in minorities. Um, I also remember for the Lankan New Year's, if I'm not wrong, there was this New Year meal share for the people who were in the hill country.
0: That was huge. And... It was yes. so heartening to see how much was donated, honestly, um, and t- about the estate um, that that specific ration drive. Um, I remember uh, they were uh, SIDPS was doing it, um, but they wanted me to try and fundraise for them. And at some point, we actually had excess, so they had some money to actually carry over to their next ration drive in Calais, which was fantastic because it's very rare that that happens. Usually, it's that there is an arrears and you try to fill it. So, no, for sure. So that's what I mean. Like, it's it's been amazing to see the community step forward, although that shouldn't be the case. Uh, like, my friend Amalini and I spoke about this some time ago, that these are things that the state and the government should be doing, right? These are safety nets that the people we put in power, uh, to seats of power, should be doing. So we should not be doing this, but it's still amazing to see the community show up for each other.
1: Absolutely. It does show hope because even in times of darkness, you can still see a, a huge amount of solidarity and also a high sense of generosity that we as to have. I think we're we are also very famous for this. Um, we've kind of touched upon this already, but maybe to make matters more concrete and give a better understanding of the scope of this solidarity movement, um, can you tell us how much money has been gathered and how many families have been supported?
0: Sure. Um, so just full disclosure because we've not done like a complete audit of this um, but at a glance we have easily raised um, close to uh, 8 million um, this is between April to uh, August right so about 8 8- so
1: 8 million rupees yeah rupees. yes rupees yeah so is roughly 22,000 euro yeah, there
0: you go and um, yeah as far as um, how many families this is all, all also like helped out um this has helped about close to 700 families. And that is not counting, like I said, the individual families that we help. And also, uh, it's also not counting other endeavors like community meal share, donations to, we've made to like the soup bowl. Um, And also we've made a couple of donations to uh, foundations that take care of disabled children. Um, So those, not counting those, we've easily helped about 700 families. And I have to also mention that um, within that 700, there are several families who've received um, help from us at least once a month. So it has been ongoing. So we try to repeat with the same communities in order to make it sustainable. Because what happens a lot is uh, people tend to give ration, giving ration packs in Sri Lanka is seen as like, quote unquote, charity. And you do it one time for like your birthday or like your grandma's, you know, death anniversary or something. And you're like, oh, yeah, I collect a good karma. So we did not want to reproduce that bullshit model of like morals, you know, morality and like collecting like karma points. We wanted to make it sustainable. And part of that meant also um, trying to repeat that whenever we can. So by whenever we can, I mean, sometimes we ran short of funds by the end of a month and we just couldn't repeat it for that month. But for like communities in Anuradhapura, Maharakamu, Kirlapanna, yeah, we've done it every month since April, uh, with the exception of August, since we are currently on hiatus to uh, figure some stuff out. So, yeah.
1: Okay, well, hired to the site, so there's already this kind of circular structure already system. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, do you have any next steps, maybe things you would like to do more, or maybe other initiatives you want to come up with? Sure,
0: absolutely. So one of the first things we want to do is to register as an organization. I really have so many mixed feelings about this, because I hate the idea of, like, then intrinsically creating this, like, weird hierarchy. But... The reason behind making it or registering as an organization is twofold. Uh, one is because we, some of us kept getting calls from the banks asking uh, why we were getting <laughs> such large amounts of money and why we kept moving it around. And I think they were very suspicious, especially with this forex crisis. We don't want like that to also affect our like, personal lives, right? So that's one thing. The second thing is also improved transparency. I think when you register as an organization, it is easier for you to then, you know, get some someone professional to do an audit every year. There's someone to take care of your finances because really, like, I don't know, you know, how to do an audit and stuff. Like, my knowledge is to, like, take a calculator and do the math and, like, you know, see what what's the balance and all that. So that's the second reason we want it to be super transparent, because sometimes when, when we've done this, also people have come back and be like, mm, are you an organization? Like, why are you collecting this money? So we, we want there to be a concrete answer um, other than, oh, yeah, we're a bunch of friends like doing this because we want to help people. Like, while that's inconvenient, um, like, like I said, like I'm, I really, really hate this idea of like creating an organization. Um, But I think it's also at this point it is necessary. So that's the first step. The second one is I've already sent out a call for volunteers and I'm so happy to report that we've had so many people reach out and be like, hey, you know, I'm free to do this. Even people from outside of Sri Lanka have, have actually reached out and that's fantastic because really what we need is a couple of people to do the ration drives and a couple of people to handle the logistics. That means like keeping track of bills of fund transfers. Um, keeping track of also keeping track of like food prices because things keep shifting so frequently. Um, So the nitty gritty is like that. So that is something we're working on. And hopefully by like mid to late October, we should be registered as an organization. And we hope to continue this work through that, Um, which is why we're on hiatus at the moment um, until we figure out that next step.
1: Um, So, starting October is going to keep on going again. Uh, So, I guess that aid is once again important, and I reckon foreign aid is also specifically important. Um, Do you want to tell the reasons why you? Yeah.
0: So, for two reasons. um, So, one is um, I think if you read about the Sri Lankan economic crisis, one of the first things you'll read is this is also a foreign uh, exchange crisis, this is a forex reserves crisis. Um, In that Sri Lanka, like we have zero foreign reserves at the moment, um, which means we actually don't have money to buy essential food and medicines uh, and fuel. So that's like one of the, I mean, that is the crux of the issue, right? So what it means when people donate in foreign currency from especially from currencies that hold a lot of power, like such as the the British pound, uh, the euro, the US dollar, the Canadian dollar, the Australian dollar. So... It means a lot in Sri Lankan rupees because our currency has depreciated to an all-time low that, like, foreign currencies, especially the ones I mentioned, they mean so much in Sri Lankan rupees.
1: Yeah, maybe to to get this, uh, one year used to be 100 rupees 15 years ago, and um, I just checked and it's now 361. Yeah, there you go. So, all the more important. Mm
0: -hmm. So it's it's a lot. It it makes all the difference. And right now, um, so as of August, the central bank reported that our inflation has exceeded 60% and food inflation has exceeded 90%. This is as of August. So, I mean, I, I hate to sound pessimistic, but we are also very cognizant of the fact that it's it's going to get worse uh, in the next coming months. So foreign currency means so much to us right now. And the second reason why uh, it helps so much is that when you send foreign currency to a local bank account, uh, there's that um, incoming remittance gets paid into that bank account. It's not a lot, but it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. So um, I'm not exactly sure on the on the amounts right now because they also keep changing because our currency keeps, you know, jumping <laughs> up and down. But, like, per, per dollar, per euro, there's, like, a, a, an amount of rupees that gets uh, debited into your account. So for any, not just for me, but for any organization in Sri Lanka that's doing, like, mutual aid work, um, getting foreign currency means a lot. It, it honestly, it, it means a lot more and it can do a lot more than uh, people donating in, like, local currency. So, definitely. I mean, if you're listening to this and you're able to, please do so. Because even sending in, like, 5 euros, 5 dollars, it means a lot in Sri Lankan money.
1: You've heard this from Sarita herself. So, um... If you want to support Sri Lankans through this crisis, um, there is a GoFundMe in Maastricht, which is called Maastricht Stands with Sri Lanka. Um, we will add the link to this podcast. And um, if you're able to, please do donate. It's just really important that we support these people because, of course, this is a crisis that has been never been seen before in the history of Sri Lanka since independence in forty-eight. And, um, yeah, um, any final words, Sarita? Um, yeah, I
0: mean... I do have something to add. Um, Given the audience of this podcast especially, um, I think Sri Lanka often people, um, and rightfully so, it's a beautiful country, right? Um, It's very common for people to see Sri Lanka as like a top ten travel destination with all the rolling hills and the endless coastlines and it's fantastic. Um, But what I think people also don't know a lot about is that we've also had a very tumultuous past. A lot of Um, a lot of conflict, a lot of state violence um, against its people and successive governments have sustained a system of nepotism, of corruption of unsustainable debt and I need everyone to understand that none of that money that was borrowed actually goes to Sri Lanka's people it has not improved the lives of the average Sri Lankan at all if anything it's made things worse because I think successive governments have consistently tried to um, emulate these Western standards of development where infrastructure um, that hides poverty and structural inequality means that there is development. And it's been awful. It's, it, this crisis, like I hate to say it, but has been a long time coming and people, economists, experts have always warned about this. It's a multifaceted humanitarian crisis that we're seeing right now I know a lot of media call it an economic crisis because yes, the crux of it is the economy, but it is a political crisis. So I would really appreciate if people can read up on it. Um, Please try and raise a lot more awareness um, and please donate if you can. And I, I want people to talk about Sri Lanka not just as this beautiful tourist destination where you can take your picture perfect Instagram shots but also a country with people who have been through so much in the very short 70-something years that we've had independence from the British. So I'm sorry for getting a little emotional, but I think those are my last words. So if you're listening to this podcast, yeah
1: please, please help. I mean, I absolutely relate to it myself because I'm Lankan myself. So my heart goes out to, you know, the country of my roots, but also my people. And one thing for sure is that we at the Master Diploma are not finished talking about Sri Lanka. We will go deeper throughout this series into this political aspect that you mentioned, Sarita. Um, but for now, I'm very thankful that we had you with us. Actually, very interesting to hear from someone who is in the country uh, supporting local people. So once again, thank you so much, Sarita, for your time. And Always remember, we'll be somewhere around. Yep, yep,
0: yep. I look forward to that gin and tonic at some point um, yes. on either side of the world.
1: <laughs> this was Facing the Perfect Storm, the first episode of our series on the crisis in Sri Lanka. Thanks again for Dr. tamilana tavinagan and my friend Sarita Bandara for aligning us with our perspectives. Once again, if you want to show your support, the resources are linked to this podcast. Next time, we're taking you on a trip to Sri Lanka, exploring how life there looks or rather, sounds like nowadays. Until then, Simon. take care.
0: The music for this podcast episode has been produced by Stone Ocean. This podcast episode has been
2: recorded and produced by Jonathan Vijay Ratna and Simon Veerts. Edited by Jonathan Vijay Ratna. Stay tuned.